love. Love changes everything, as Michael Ball once said. Wise words, yet dangerously unheeded by many, from the lowest serf to kings and emperors. Indeed, King Graham of Daventry never let love cross his mind in his quest to save his kingdom, save for the love a ruler has for his subjects. Now victorious, he sits upon a solitary throne in an empty hall, musing on the glories of the past and contemplating the challenges of the future. But one glance into the magic mirror that adorns the wall of that great chamber will change his life forever. It will set him on a perilous journey to a faraway kingdom where he will battle wolf and viper, ghost and sorcerer, mermaid and vampire, and some prickly brambles, all to win the love of a woman he has never met. Foolhardy, perhaps. Courageous, most definitely. Little creepy, probably. But, as has oft been said in the annals of love, faint heart never won fair lady. Join us, dear listener, as we journey into the strange land of Kalima and discover the mysteries of King's Quest II, Romancing the Throne. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. My name is Jim, aka Mr. Spatula. And I'm Stephen, aka the Chap in the Hats. Hello there. Hello, and together we are the Graphic Adventurers, and we are very pleased to welcome you all back. We hope you enjoyed our first episode that delved into the land of Daventry and into the travails of then Sir Graham, now King Graham. Graham. Correct. Graham. Um, <laughs> <laughs> In King's Quest 1, the quest for the crown. And um, we've decided um, for our second episode of this podcast to delve straight back into his story. And we are going to be tackling King's Quest 2, Romancing the Throne. Not Romancing the Stone, as I incorrectly called it many times during our Let's Play. Uh, although it wouldn't have been incorrect um, if we'd have been playing the more recent one. But for some really odd reason... Possibly because the creators uh, who did the remake didn't understand the pun. Um, the ones that got brought out about about four or five years ago uh, called it Romancing the Stone, not Romancing the Throne. So, okay, as, as a direct homage to the Michael Douglas classic of 1984, as opposed to a pun. One One can only assume. Fair enough. Okay. I prefer the original title, so that's what we will refer to it as during this game, because that is the version that we played. In fact, I don't think it was the original version that we played, which came out in 1985. I think we played an updated DOS version, but essentially the same game, which was out in... Um, maybe you can help me out here, Stephen. 1980... I do believe it's 1987. Uh, the original one from 1985 was version 1.1. PC and DOS. You can tell he's done his research. Uh, uh, yes, this is the only bit of research I know. <laughs> um, and then it came out uh, in 1987, which is one of the ones that we played, which was version 2.1, which 
which came out the 10th of April, 1987. And then that was for DOS and PC and some other bits and pieces. And then it came out about a month or so later, 7th of May, uh, version 2.2 for the Amiga. Excellent. Okay. And we are playing the, the PC DOS version, is that correct? Yes, yes. Also, the thing for the Amiga, it was the first game, I believe, I believe, please feel to correct me, the first self-booting game as well, of, of this particular series anyway. Describe self-booting for me. It was on a floppy disk, whack it in, and away you go. Okay, right. You didn't have to have any computer prompts, C dot, jibbity bob, slash, forward. Oh, so it ran like a boot disk. You just, like, put it in and turn it on. Like a um, like a console cartridge, almost. Pretty much, pretty much. Well, same year as consoles, really. NES came out that year. In 1985, it did. Of course, the Atari console had been out many years before that. But uh, the, the Famicom, or the Nintendo Entertainment System, certainly was uh, very new at the time. Yeah, uh, Amiga 1000 came out that same year, as well as the Commodore 128. There you go. So it was a an era of multiple and diverse platforms for gaming, as opposed to now when you've got PC, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo. That's basically it. Ah, is Nintendo really in the running? What? Of course Nintendo's in the running. If you want to play Mario, you've got to go to Nintendo. Nah, fair enough. Obviously. If you've got yeah, kids... You're not going to show him heavy rain, are you? Well, you might, but... I, for some reason, I went to um, the Prince's song, <clears throat> but that was Purple Rain. But <laughs> I don't know why I went to heavy rain. Weirdly enough, the color Purple also came out in 1985. So there we It are. did. Steven Spielberg's worst film. No, that's absolutely not the case. Obviously, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull takes all the plaudits in that arena and possibly Hook. Oh, I like Hook. Oh, piss off. Hook's terrible and you know it. Everyone knows Hook is bad. I get in this argument with lots of people of my age. They're like, oh, no, Hook's great. No, it isn't. I'm sorry. What about... It feels like going... Sorry, go on. What about the Police Academy saga? Steven Spielberg didn't direct the Police Academy yeah, saga. Yeah, you were just saying it's the worst film. What about a Police, ca- no, Police I was Academy saying it's the worst Steven Spielberg... I was saying it was the worst I'm going to be Spielberg listing a lot of film. films that came out in <laughs> I said it was the worst Steven Spielberg film. I did not say it was the worst film ever, although Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is possibly the worst film ever. But I'm just saying, for all you Hook fans out there, you're wrong. That's all all I've got to say on that subject. Anyway, moving on. What we're going to do is we're going to very briefly go over some of the backstory to the game. Really not much about a minute because most of that we covered in the first episode in which we discussed the history of Sierra, how it started, Ken and Roberta Williams, where they came from, and the development of the Adventure Game Interpreter, or AGI, which was the engine used to create King's Quest 1. King's Quest 2 obviously runs on the same engine, so that was already in place. The company was already in place. The business deals they had with IBM, that was it. The people who developed the PC Junior in order to distribute King's Quest. So a lot of the infrastructure had already been built up in order to actually get this out of the door. So there's not much to go over in that regard, except they did hire some new team members, specifically Scott Murphy and Mark Crow, who went on to design and be the lead designers, actually, on the Space Quest series. Ah, yes, the one where we, uh, oh, spoiler alert, uh, where we uh, got a little bit of a preview 
an Easter egg, if you like. The designers for Space Quest were some of the key designers on King's Quest 2, and you can tell that because they actually put a trailer for Space Quest in the game, in a rock. We'll, we'll cover that. We will cover it. We will cover it. But apart from that, really, Roberta Williams's drive to make King's Quest 2, apart from the financial benefits, of course, were about expanding the characters and the story for as much as you could in 1985, I suppose. So she says, and I quote, King's Quest 2 reminded me a little of Wizard in the Princess. You'll remember that is the game that they made before King's Quest 1, which we didn't play. A lot of people call it King's Quest 0 because it's kind of a precursor, really, to the entire King's Quest saga. Not narratively, but technically. Anyway, she says, and I quote, We saw how previous games, such as Mystery House and King's Quest 1, were received by the public, and I was anxious to try my hand at a bigger story right away. Graham would be king by now, and what quest should a lonely king go on? What should he see through the magic mirror? A maiden in distress. I started to foresee a family for Graham in the future. I couldn't fit some ideas into King's Quest 1, so I was happy to get a chance to include King Neptune, Dracula, everyone from Little Red Riding Hood, and that infamous rickety old bridge you could only cross so many times. My earlier games, from Mystery House to King's Quest 2, were great games, but they couldn't have deep, complex plots that I wanted due to memory and space limitations. Basically, they were treasure hunts with lots of simple goals, for example, you go from here to there, and fun puzzles to add to the challenge. The story always comes first, but technology plays a big part in what you can't do. So, from that you can understand that she's looking to push forward the narrative complexity of her games as she goes along. And I wouldn't say that King's Quest 2, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, was a particularly narratively complex game. Um, no, no. I, I think possibly uh, when they brought it out later on, the 1987 version, because they, they had a, a companion. I was going to say compendium, but no, a companion, a uh, King's Quest companion, which pretty much told you the, the backstory, the, the story of the character arcs and whatnot. That's absolutely right. Yes, it had a manual that contained a, a prologue short story written by a uh, woman called Annette Childs, and the story covered Graham being told by the spirit of the former King Edward in the Magic Mirror that he must find a wife. Ah, I was actually going to cover this later on, but fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> We can shift it round, don't worry. That's fair enough. Or he may suffer the same fate of the kingdom as he had. Graham calls upon his prime minister. I didn't even know he had a prime minister. Well, they've got to have somebody to run all the delegates. The House of Lords. Yes, well, he's got a throne room with nobody in it. Yeah, they're all down, the, um, they're all down at the, the main office passing um, bills. I was going to say passing water then, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, he has a prime minister called Gawain, who uh, prepares a great feast and calls Gawain. all them... Yes, Gawain, G-E-R-W-A-I-N. Oh. Okay. And he calls all the maidens and ladies throughout the land. None of the ladies interest the king. Clearly he's, you know, a man of taste and discernment. Oh, it's kind of very sort of a uh, Cinderella-esque sort of story, but from the male point of view. Yeah. And he is left solemn. However, the magic mirror activates, telling him about a young maiden, Valenice, trapped in a tower by the evil witch Hagatha. He is told he must travel to the land of Kalima to find the magic doorway that leads to the Oh, that's what it is. It's Kalima. Kalima. 
Thank you, Rollaram. No, it might be Kalima. I, I don't know. I, I was reading it as Kalima. No, that's Kalima, K-A-L-I is in Kali, the Hindu goddess of destruction. Ah, uh, well, I'm dyslexic, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Phonetically, it's, it's great. The backstory that was written in the novelization is not some, not novelization, sorry, although there was a novelization uh, included in the King's Quest Companions, which expanded the details of the story, which was written from the perspective of Daventry's Prime Minister, Gawain. Oh, right. There you are. However, all of this information is not included in the actual game itself. So I think that maybe we should leave the history of the game behind and actually get to our experience of playing it. Would you agree? Uh, yes, I suppose if people want to know about the ins and outs and the minutiae of uh, Daventry, they can either look it up or play it themselves. They can. So we start out in the throne room of Daventry, where we left, in fact, King Graham on our last quest, sitting silently and alone on his throne having won the kingdom but apparently having no subjects whatsoever <laughs> being actually being in control of two kingdoms because i do believe we occupied the kingdom of the leprechauns we did we also <laughs> deposed the king of the leprechauns and took his kingdom even though he took all of his subjects with him in fact he didn't take them with him they all buggered off and he followed them <laughs> i think is what happened because we played our fiddle and they danced away <laughs> So anyway, we begin in the throne room, as we were at the last time, crown on, hall empty, and King Graham is feeling rather lonely. He's achieved what many would consider to be one's life's dream of becoming king of a far-off land. However, he has no bride in which to share his joy. Very sad. But the magic mirror, which he stole from a dragon after yeeting a dagger at him, begins to... <laughs> Begins to shimmer. <laughs> oh god, I forgot we just kept chucking knives at stuff. We did. And he is drawn inexorably towards its splendour, wherein he witnesses a vision, a beautiful maiden in front of him. Her name is Valenice, and he falls instantly in love with her and declares that she shall be his bride. Without her knowledge it's the middle ages that's fine that's how <laughs> things were done back then don't worry about it fair enough hashtag me too also he's like looking through a magic mirror without her knowledge spying on her i mean heaven knows what she's doing at the time i, I just imagine is that where sort of um middle age tinders come from just a uh, swipe left no don't want her no oh that one I yes want, this I want this is the <laughs> we'll call her Holly Valance. This is the fantasy um, medieval version of Tinder. That's correct. He's been swiping for a <laughs> while and finally he's like, yes, that's the maiden for me. However, there is a problem. The problem is that Valanice is a prisoner. She is kept in a pearl tower in a far off land. Sorry? It's quartz. All right, what are you, a fucking geologist? <laughs> Captain, I think you'll find I'm president of the Pedantic Society. Pedantry Society. <laughs> Vice president. <laughs> Thank you, sir. A quartz tower, that's correct. She is trapped in a quartz tower, much like the mythical Princess Rapunzel. However, for some reason, they couldn't use her name in this. Well, they used Red Riding Hood. I wonder why they couldn't use uh, others. 
I don't know. Maybe it's because they wanted to make her like a you know a significant character in the story. They didn't want to like just nick the the Rapunzel theme. Anyway, it's basically Rapunzel, except she doesn't have long hair. She's in a quartz tower. She's held captive by a witch, which we only find out through Annette Childs's backstory. And King Graham determines to rescue the fair maiden from her plight and to make her his bride. And so, without further ado, he sets off towards the far-off land of Kalimar. Kalimar! And that's the beginning of the game. What did you think of the uh, the intro, Stephen? How did it strike you? Your intro or the game intro? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't dare ask you what you thought of my intro, because... I, I preferred yours. Eh? There was more bloody story to it. <laughs> okay, so admittedly, I, you know, embellished a few aspects of the, uh, of the, of the game, but... Um, in comparison, for example, to King's Quest One and the the introduction that we got there, do you think that perhaps oh, we got a little bit? We, got we a did get a little more, bit because you know? Roberta Williams was saying that you know she was looking to make this more narratively driven. Do you think that that it was? Do you do you see that coming across or not? I think it's more show rather than tell on a lot of the things in King's Quest, but I suppose that's how it had to be. You you were limited in what you could do on how much text. You could have, I think we covered this in the actual game mm. before, and we got given like a manual. Um, sometimes it's just interesting and possibly fun to make up your own story to go with it. Yes, considering that the story contained in the game is very, very thin, I would agree. However, I think that there's clearly a, um emotional goal, even if it is very thinly painted, of uh, of finding your true love. So slight innovation from the first game, I would say which just dumped you into Daventry with absolutely no idea what was going on at all. Well, you got your most... In the first one, you get the story from the king. You get the king's quest. Yes, but you've got to go and find him before you before he tells you that. That's true. I suppose that's the, that's the prologue. But whereas this one is the king's quest, as in it's the quest of the king. Rather than for the king. Yes. True. So anyway, we cut to a beach, which is a... <laughs> <laughs> thank you which is a locale that we um did not experience in the first game so immediately it feels a little bit different if there's it feels a little tropical in fact there's palm trees there's no spicy island rhythms unfortunately but you can imagine <laughs> that they may be playing if the game had better sound well you you say that it, we did encounter quite a fair amount of music in the Quint King's Quest 2. That is true. And I was going to cover that later, but yes, there was more music in this game than there was in the first in which we got green sleeves and that sort of jaunty funeral march. That was it. I what is that John I think it is it just called a funeral march. <laughs> Da, 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 da. Yes, then it goes jaunty. Feel feel free to tell us what those songs actually are, people of the internet. Yes, we would be thrilled to know. Anyway, we wash up on a beach of Kalimar or Kalima or wherever it is we are. Oh, sorry to stop you there. Do we wash up? I thought we would teleported through the mirror. Oh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't think so. I know in the book it says we get on a ship and we drive there, drive there, um, <laughs> sail there. Um, but I just assumed that we teleported through the mirror. I don't think that we do. I don't think we do. I think he just walks off and goes there. I think in later games, maybe there may be mirror teleportation technology, but not in this game. 
I believe. Let us know in the comments or in tweets at Adventurers Pod, by the way, if you do know the the actual answer to this. It's been a little while since we've played it. However, once we are in the land of Kalima, we now have freedom to explore, and it's similar to the first game in that if you keep going up, you eventually come back to where you were. It's like a rolling track. It is. However, if you go left, you go into the sea. And then you can just keep swimming out into the sea and you will drown eventually. It is one of many, many deaths. <laughs> many, many deaths you can die of. There are many, many deaths available in this game for you to enjoy. Many deaths are available. But if you keep going right, eventually you will hit some cliffs and you will not be able to go right any further. So unlike the first game, which seemed to take place in a very, very small globe or sphere, you walk all the way east and eventually you come back from the west you walk all the way north eventually you come back from the south this game appears to take place in not so much a globe as a very small or very large i suppose donut yes or cylinder <laughs> <laughs> no not a donut hold on treadmill because you can you can keep going there forever so yeah no it's like a it's like a tube it's like a cylinder like a large pringle tube that goes on forever okay I'll, I'll, I'll take that excellent sorry i'm just discussing the topology of the different lands available to us in this world <laughs> i think it's important you need to get your bearings you need to know where you are well of course that's why we mapped the entire thing prior we did doing any quests for the first hour and a half that's essentially how we approach all of these games is we get an excel document up on one window and we write in on each square what exists in that square and we map the whole place out and then we decide what we want to do after that which i think is a good way of going about it certainly for these first two games yes it beats the um post-it note system that i was about to implement yes the post-it note system unfortunately never came to full fruition I would have liked to see it. Unfortunately, because of COVID and other factors, we are unable to really interact on a personal level. So it would have just been very small pixelated squares on the wall behind Stephen and wouldn't have been <laughs> the most useful. So I like our Excel document way of doing it. Yeah, plus also the audience can see it as well. They can, they can. So once we are um, in the land of Kalima, obviously we start exploring and we start picking up everything that is available to us in order to find out what it is we need to do i think the first one of the what was one of the first things we found i want to say something else but i believe it was a trident i think it was the trident i think it was i think it also describes it as a pitchfork initially until you it. <laughs> really can you type in pick up pitchfork and it still works well it's very evidently a trident but I think it says, oh, it's a three-pronged pitchfork of some description. See, this completely changes things. This implies that, you know, old Neptune is not king of the ocean. He's actually just some redneck mob guy who's, like, stood outside trying to... It took a jibs! <laughs> <laughs> nice South Park reference. So, yes, we find a, a number of things. We find a trident, and we find various jewellery hidden in tree trunks, which is... Seems to be a custom of Kalima as it is in Daventry, so it's not completely culturally different. So we find bracelets, we find earrings, we find... What else was there? Amulets of some sort? I can't remember now. No, the amulet was later. Oh, the amulet was, yes, the amulet's important. That comes much later. So, most importantly, what we find far to the east 
over a rickety old bridge across a canyon is a door in the middle of nowhere. A magic door? Well, I assume so. It could just be a door in the middle of nowhere. It's locked. Um, whilst I will... Uh, regarding the bridge that you alluded to earlier through uh, one of the statements, you could get trapped on one side or, or the other. Really? Yeah. The bridge would break after eight traverses. Eight traverses? Eight traverses. But you get points on the seventh. Oh, we didn't get points for crossing the bridge, which explains why we maybe only made 177 out of 185 points. So hang on, why do you get points for almost breaking a bridge? I, I, I don't know. Apparently it was a uh, a trope of the time. I suppose it is a bridge that breaks. Too many people cross Temple it. of Doom. That came out the year before. Willow. And any time you ever see a rickety bridge. Bridge to Terabithia. So hold on though, if it collapses after the eighth time, surely you would o- you couldn't end up on either side. You would only end up on one side, the side that you originally start on. Yes, yes, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that would be the. But it would cut you off from the magical door, which is over on the other yes, side. Yes, it would. Yeah, I believe uh, Sierra used that tactic in a few other games later in the series, but I'm not a hundred percent sure which ones. Well, yes, I can say for a fact that it happens in Space Quest, but we'll get to that now. Upon the door, if you inspect it closely, is a inscription. And the inscription reads, Whosoever chooses to seek the key for this door will undoubtedly make a splash. There's a lot of movie references from the 80s in this game. That's all I'm going to say. I didn't get that movie reference in the first. I was totally obsessed with water. So I assumed that you'd go through the door and you'd land in the sea or something like that. You were very very quick well eventually you were very quick on the uptake um, (laughs) eventually you were very quick (laughs) well you got that is what we call a backhanded compliment in modern parlance Stephen. um well you well you made a point of make a splash the 1984 film daryl hannah tom hanks quite mermaids so mermaid i had thought about this however Nothing added up at the time because we'd explored the whole map and we hadn't come up with anything. It felt a little bit more aimless than the first game. I don't know if you agree with this. Um, Yes, yes and no. I think the clues we were given were a little bit ambiguous. Thinking about it, when this came out in 1985, Splash was a big film. It would have been, yes. It was probably still playing in theatres at the time in 1985. Things used to be around oh, for absolutely, ages. Absolutely. So you'd think, splash, oh, water, oh, mermaids, go to the beach. Where's we going to splash? Oh, that's obviously something to do with water. Uh, so well, let's wander around a lake for a while. But the thing is, the mermaid... That was me doing the impression of me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that, sorry. I thought you were just being an old hag or something. Being Hagatha. Being Hagatha. So I assumed this was to do with mermaids, but we'd already explored the entire map and there had not been any mermaids in it. What you don't realise is you have to read the note and then go back to the beach in order for the mermaid to show. Uh, yes, it is one of the things that does denote it from the first one. Uh, it's King's Quest Two is far more linear than the original one. And I believe that's something to do with the CPU it used. No, it didn't. It didn't use the CPU. It used some kind of timing something or other. You will you can tell me. I can't remember what it is. It's some kind of timing-based 
something. Don't um, worry about it. I, I have read it, and I totally have done my research, I promise. Miss. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, this new concept is what made all the, from then on, uh, things timed. So things turned up after a certain period of time, i.e. when you've gone past a certain gate post. Right. When I say gate post, I mean like a, a story point. Point in the game or a certain amount of time has elapsed. Yeah. Yes. Things can happen. Yeah, which is different to the first game in which I think basically, you know, there was the screen with the ogre on, there was the screen with the uh, witch on, there was the screen with the, the wolf on. Wizard. And the wizard. Ooh, uh- the returning wolf in king's quest spoiler alert yes but those things were on one screen each and they didn't roam around when you went on that screen they appeared and then you had to get the fuck out of there otherwise they'd mess you up but there was no randomness to it there was no timing to it there was no sense of progression to it basically you knew what you were getting whereas in this you have to wait for certain events to happen and also certain events might or might not happen depending on when you go there there's an element of randomness. There is an element of randomness to it. So yeah, that's another way in which the game innovated, I suppose. Anyway, the clue on the door points us towards this mermaid, which does turn up at the beach. Now, in order to charm the mermaid, you do need some form of gift to give her. And this can be procured from Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, no, it can't be procured from... Oh, no, sorry. The flowers can be procured from Little Red Riding Hood. Yes, but in order to do that... Uh, a little exchange happens. She sends you on a little quest when you're uh, on a screen with her on. Yes. As we just alluded to, uh, some of the characters don't always appear in the same spot. Yeah, that is correct. Every now and then, you'll come across Little Red Riding Hood walking through the woods. And if you actually get to talk to her, because the one thing that this game shares with the original is that characters just roam around and you have to chase them with talk to whoever the fuck it is typed in already on your line so you can press enter when you get into close proximity to them if you actually manage to catch her then she cries and says that she's lost her grandmother's picnic basket it's her picnic basket that she's going to take to her grandmother but indeed and also weirdly enough in story wise turns out it's the big bad wolf that stole her basket and hid it in the left box. Where did you find this out? Uh, that's also in the um, the manual. Oh, okay. There you are. So apparently the big bad wolf has stolen Little Red Riding Hood's picnic basket. <laughs> I don't know. I have to say it like that. Um, <laughs> and rather than eat the contents himself or deliver it to... Well, actually no, he has, I suppose, delivered it to Grandma because when you get to Grandma's house he has posted the picnic basket into her post box that's not a euphemism (laughs) no no literally literally in her post box if you open it up there it is inside and you just take it out you find little red riding hood again you chase her down and then you give her the picnic basket and in return because she's so grateful she gives you a bunch of flowers which is lovely thing is if you gave the mermaid the trident to start off with i think she'll very happily take it off you but she'll not do anything. You have to give her the flowers to enact the the sequence. So if you give her the trident, she takes it for her dad and then you fail the game. Is that right? Oh, well, technically, yes. Because then when you go and see Neptune, uh, he zaps you with the trident. Oh, what for? For being an interloper on the underseas. Bastard. Well, in this case, he doesn't do that because we charm his daughter first. We bring her the bunch of flowers. We give them to her. 
and she is that at the point she invites us to come and see her father yes yes she invites us to come and see her father so he may approve of, of us i guess and uh, we ride a magical seahorse through the sea past a few screens underwater until we finally get to his majesty king neptune now we had a little bit of a spat here because i insisted that he was called poseidon and you said he was I, called neptune I by one group of religious fanatics, he is called Poseidon. What, you mean the Greeks? You know the ones I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I was under the impression it was always Neptune, but... So Neptune was the, was the Roman name for him, I believe, and Poseidon was the Greek ah. name for him. Uh, same god, different names. Anyway, in the game, he's called King Neptune, and you are brought before him, and you can then return his trident to him, and he's he's very pleased about this. I believe he is and he waves his magical trident over a clam but if you yourself wave the trident over the magical clam nothing happens what does happen is he takes it off you and zaps you i said that we didn't experience any of this we gave him his due and we're not disrespectful well we are a king after all a king in another king's kingdom exactly we understand how to give proper respect except to the king of the leprechauns who we just yeeted out of his kingdom (laughs) (laughs) so the magical clam opens and within it is the first golden key precisely which we claim and of course keys need a door the only door that we know of currently apart from that weird one we saw in tree earlier which we will get back to is the door over the ravine and so we return to that door and we unlock it with our key and behind the door is another door another door another door and this door has another inscription above it and this door's locked as well by the way in case you haven't figured (laughs) that out yet and this inscription says whosoever chooses to seek the key for this door should set their sights high so in order to solve this puzzle you need to understand that as you travel further east in the land of kalima eventually you hit some very high cliffs which the description actually does specify impassable impassable it says clearly that's just incorrect because later on we do pass them however to the mortal man or the man of mortal means they are impassable but there are some things which can help us with that. Namely, a magic carpet. Gasp and horror, I know you're thinking, dear listener. Where do we get a magic carpet? <laughs> where do you think you get a magic carpet from? From the magic lamp. Absolutely. Because that's where a genie comes from. Quite. Where do you get the magic lamp, I hear you ask? Gift ah, shop. You get it from an old woman <laughs> in an antique shop, which is in the middle of Kalimar. It is. So, evidently, th- th- see, this is where I started to have problems with this game because what I liked about the first one was that it was all based on, you know, like the Grimm's fairy tale type of situations where you know, for example, that you've got to push the old witch into the oven and you know that the dragon has to be slain and the big billy goats gruff and the trolls yes the billy goat gruff and the trolls you know it's 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 all classic sort of western mythology whereas this i understand it's sort of in another land so it's kind of a little bit different but you've got red riding hood in there and her grandmother which is fairly grim's fairy tales but at the same time you've got neptune and then you've got aladdin in his lamp and dracula 
and it just feels a little bit discombobulated that's not a word <laughs> we haven't got to dracula yet but uh, we'll we haven't there. spoiler but yeah i mean what did you think did you like this one as much as the first I, it seems like very much a, a nod and wink to the camera going oh look oh you know what you've heard about these yeah I, I i just thought it was a little chaotic in terms of its mythology it's like that bit in the line the witch in the wardrobe where narnia is full of satyrs and nymphs and you know all the sort of classical these and then all of a sudden father christmas turns up and you're like, what? Uh, you're mixing genres, man. You're mixing genres. Well, this is this is precisely why Tolkien and C.S. Lewis fell out. Is because Tolkien just couldn't cope with him putting Father Christmas in his fantasy land. He's like, you can't do that. And C.S. Lewis is like, fuck yeah, I can do what I like. It's my, <laughs> it's my bloody book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going to put Father Christmas in there if I want to. But you're like, what? So does Jesus exist in this land? And is that... I, I mean, I get it's an allegory, but like literally Father Christmas is there and what's Christmas and do they have the same calendar as we do? And who? I, anyway, so it felt a little bit like that in that all these different mythologies and fairy tales were shoved together in a way that didn't quite gel. And I know it's just a game, but it bothered me. Although you do say that, mentioning Christianity, that brings us to the monk. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And he gives us a cross. He does. So there's a monk. This was actually my favourite part of the game. So there is a monastery and a monk, which further brings to the fact that maybe this is set on Earth to some extent. Maybe like Christianity is a thing. I don't know. It's it's very... plays its cards close to its chest in that regard. However, you go into the monastery and there's a monk at the front. There's nobody else there. And the monk doesn't want to talk to you. You try to talk to him and he just he's so deep in prayer that he ignores you. So what what did we try and do? Um, oh, initially we we prayed. We did, we did. We prayed with the monk, and when you pray with the monk, the monk stops praying, and then he actually stands up and he's like, "Ah, a fellow man of God," and he will talk to you. I pray, he... tell me your name. Exactly, and we tell him our name, which is Graham, and he says that he's heard of us, which is lovely. It's nice to be known. Guess about. So. Once you sort of tell him who you are, he knows that you're here to rescue the princess from the tower, and he gives you a silver cross in order to aid you in your quest. We put this silver cross on, and I'm never quite sure what it did. Do you know the answer to this? I do know what it does. I'm sure it offered some protection to us at some point throughout the game, but because we put it on so early on, I don't know what that was. Uh, No, it just has one particular aspect of protection it protects us from dracula it makes him pretty much not bite us oh okay great yeah because he didn't bite us later we are, on. we are very much jumping ahead here we are jumping ahead majorly however all will become clear in the mists of time you can also try and kill the monk which i did i typed in kill monk and this was my favorite part of the game if you type in kill monk then the game simply says Anyone who would kill a man of the cloth does not deserve to live, and so you shan't. <laughs> and then you just die. Yeah, you get stricken down by God. Exactly. You get struck down by God himself for trying to kill a monk. And that's the end of the game. <laughs> so that was... that was. I did, I did chortle at that. That did make me laugh. <laughs> yes. Well, now we've got the monk bit out of the way. We'll uh, swoop back onto the storyline. We shall. We shall. So... In order to 
procure the magic carpet, you need to procure the lamp in the antique shop, which is also closed for the first portion of the game. Like you said, it is quite linear in the fact that they've closed that bit off, so you can't do it until the right portion of the game comes up. And once you've been in and got the lamp, it also closes again. It does, yeah, it does. And around the um, the shop as well, in case it being closed is not enough, there is an enchanter, I believe, who's stalking uh, about. I believe it's the wizard, but something along those lines, yes. Yeah, and if you get anywhere near him, he turns you into a frog, and that's it. Unless you are protected by the fairy's spell. There's another fairy that's flying. Uh, yes, round the monastery, that's where the fairy godmother hangs out, as all fey creatures do when it comes to religion, and grants you a period of time, which I think is around about two or three minutes. It's longer than the first game, I know that much. Well, you get quite uh, a lot of time to... Oh, you're, you're sent, you've got like a bulletproof vest on, really. Pretty much nothing can hurt you. When the dwarf, which we haven't talked about yet, encounters you, it rebuffs him. When uh, the enchanter turns up, it rebuffs him. I can't remember what else there is. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a few things later on which I think it might not be able to protect you against. It certainly can't protect you against the poison lake. I don't believe it can protect you against the wolf either. Yeah, we forgot to mention this. In the middle of the map, taking out about a 9 by 9 grid, a significant portion of the map is taken up by this poison lake, um, which you just can't cross. If you wander into it, basically, you die immediately. And all you can see walking around it is a desolate island in the middle um, with a castle on it, which will come into play later. But I think that's another thing that I found frustrating about this game was the world, although it was like the second game, the world felt smaller, primarily because the map, I think, was largely taken up by this huge poisoned lake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that wasn't great. Anyway, in order to get the lamp, you don't have any money, so you need to find something to barter with the antique shop owner. If you talk to her, she opines that her favourite... Is it a canary? Uh, I think it's a nightingale. Nightingale, that was it. Her favourite nightingale has been stolen, and she wants it back, essentially. She doesn't know where it is. And you can find the nightingale if you happen upon Hagatha's cave when Hagatha isn't home. And also when the Batmobile isn't home either. Yes, that was that's a second Easter egg. I have no idea why. But if you're, I think it's like one in 20 chance, something like that, maybe more. The Batmobile, shall we say, the... Um, the Adam West one, I would say. Adam West Batmobile emerges from Hagatha's cave. Yet again, not a euphemism. <laughs> it does. And we only saw this for a split second and then walked off and then spent the next 15 minutes trying to get it to come back. And it never did. So it was uh, it was quite a nice Easter egg, that one. However, if you do happen upon Hagatha's cave when she's not in, you can go inside and there is a foul-tasting brew in the centre, boiling in a cauldron, and in the corner is a cage with a nightingale in, in which you can pick up. Yes, Hagatha is sometimes there, sometimes she isn't. When we played through, she was never there. She wasn't, no. We tried to go and no. have a confrontation with her, but it never happened. But she's apparently there more often than she's not. We apparently looked out that she was never bloody there. We looked out immensely. Not only was she never there when we went there, but we also got the Batmobile. Yeah, we massively looked out. Uh, if you wander in and you make too much noise and she sees you and she catches you, you get put into a stew, went into the horrible, nasty stew. 
Same with the canary. If you wander up to the canary... The nightingale. If you go up to the canary and pick it up, it makes a noise. If Hagatha's not there and she hears the bird go up, she comes in and she tries to get you. We didn't drop a cloth over the um, nightingale, though. I'm pretty sure we did. I don't recall doing that. I think we just picked it up. Fair enough. It might be another version of the game, then. And then I got my information from. Yeah, no, I have read that. But I, in my experience, I think we just picked it up. Either way, when you get the nightingale, you can just open the cage and it flies off, in which case you fail the game. But obviously it doesn't tell you that. But we decided not to do that. We just simply took it back to the shop owner and exchanged it. And she gave us the only thing in the shop she was willing to give us, which was the, the giant rather... moose head. No, <laughs> she did not give us the giant moose head. She gave us the lamp. Aladdin's lamp. And you got the lamp and you're like, you've got three wishes. I wish for a moose head. (laughs) (laughs) I wear it. (laughs) Moose. (laughs) Thank you. So upon receiving the lamp, of course, the first thing that you want to do once you get out is to uh, rub it vigorously. Polish that brass. Exactly. And a genie comes out and he says, I will... He doesn't say I will grant you three wishes. He says I will give you three gifts. I think he just chucks a carpet at you and then buggers off. He basically does, yeah. Like the worst employee allied carpet. (laughs) He does give you three gifts, but he won't tell you he's going to give you three gifts. So you just have to keep rubbing the lamp. But on the first rub, he gives you a magic carpet. And when you board this, the carpet takes you up and over the impassable cliffs. So when you get up there, there is a snake blocking your way a viper viper no less now this is the stupidest puzzle in the game would you agree uh, yeah yeah there, there's there's a lot of things on various forums about this particular puzzle it is this game's rumple stiltskin puzzle if and covers basically this viper is pretty vicious if you go anywhere near it it will just kill you it'll one shot you essentially but to give you a clue the viper does talk in sort of weird serpentine slash English. Okay. What, like um, Harry Potter? Um, no, that's parcel tongue. But it does speak vague English. Because if you remember, we were talking to it, it's like, oh, look, a talking snake. Weird. So what does it t- say to you to, as a clue? Uh, I don't think it, it just goes, bugger off. I would say sticks two fingers up, but it's, it doesn't have any fingers. So It throws a packet of chocolate fingers at you. <laughs> <laughs> To defeat the Viper, there are two ways to do it. We actually did both. We were pretty stuck at first, and then we thought, oh, well, we'll just rub the lamp again. And if you rub the lamp again, the genie comes out, and he gives you a sword, which seems the obvious thing to do is just to kill the Viper with the sword, which you can do, and you get two points for that? Uh, Yes. However, if you rub the lamp once more, the genie gives you a bridle. I think it's an enchanted bridle. An enchanted bridle. So we would just trying anything basically at this point so we thought we'd throw the bridle at the snake and hopefully it'd strangle him or something instead it lands perfectly on the snake's head and then the snake magically turns into a flying horse because of course it does it does actually say in the game that previously it was a pegasus and it was cursed by either hagatha or bagatha or tabitha one of the three yes but he only says this after he's turned from a snake there's no way you would know that beforehand. No, no, not at all. So the only way in which you can actually solve this puzzle is just by trying random shit. Well, when you turn it into, a, when it turns back into a, a Pegasus, a Pegasus, 
Pegasus. Pegasus is the singular. It gives you a sugar lump, which protects you from poisonous vines. It's, it's, it, this is just what bothered me about this puzzle. It's like, it's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. It's, okay, there's a viper on top of a cliff, and in order to get past it, you need to throw a magic bridle on its head, at which point it turns into a winged flying horse who gives you a magic sugar cube. You know, it's the stuff of... You know those are like Puff the Magic Dragon and those weird, clearly things that were about drugs going on in the 70s? It's basically that. Well, I believe in the, te uh, in the playthrough, you did allude to the sugar cube being laced with LSD. Yes, well, that's how people <laughs> used to take it. I think this is what it was about. It's just completely bonkers. But fine, that's what he gives you. And then he flies off and you never see him again. You can't even ride him. I was going to say, you do need the sugar cube to progress in the game. You do need the sugar cube to, to progress in the game. And it wouldn't tell you that you were fucked. No, in classic Sierra style, you had to find out later on that you were completely fucked. And then go back and play the whole game again. I imagine you just end up having to give up. Either way, the flying horse doesn't hang about. You don't become his companion. You don't get to, like, fly into the top of the tower and rescue the maid. No, no. He just goes off. He's like, well, I'm out. <laughs> Cheese it. You carry on past the viper and you can go into a cave. And in the cave is the next key. Prior to the cave, this is where we find a hole. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, yes. My, my love of looking in holes in trees and rocks, because there's all sorts of things that we find in, in holes. That's People true. Looking hole. Oh, it's a purse full of money. Usually some for some of riches. However, in this case, we find a trailer for Space Quest. Yes. A long trailer for Space Quest. I believe I was literally speechless. I, I had no idea what was going on. An unskippable long trailer for Space Quest, may I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so that, that was the, uh, yet another Easter egg. We were always going to play Space Quest. I didn't need unskippable trailer lodged in the middle of a game. And it's not even, I don't know. It's like Monkey Island, you know, the Loom joke where you talk to the guy who's like, tell me about Loom. They do it a little bit more subtly or a little bit funnier in curse of monkey island as well as the skeleton that says ask me about grim fandango oh you didn't know that i did not know about that one yeah he's in the um chicken shop oh yeah yeah there's the guy at the table there's a skeleton at the table with the bread knife in his back so that's manny calavera oh. and he's wearing a badge saying ask me about grim fandango oh yes he is i i'll be honest with you i played monkey island years and years before grim fandango so those two scenarios never clicked you can't pick up the badge, though, because Guybrush says he doesn't want everyone asking him about Grim Fandango. So once past the trailer, you enter the cave and you pick up the key to the next door and you can fly then your magic carpet back. Cross the bridge again, hopefully not for the seventh time. Actually, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you get the points for crossing it... Oh, so the seventh time you go over and then you go through the door and the last time... Yes, you don't come back. Ah, yes, you're right. However, this time, you are going to have to go back again, because the next clue says, Whoever chooses to seek the last key must have a stout heart. I still don't think I get this clue. I think, now we've just said it again, have a stout heart. It is, as we alluded earlier, about killing Dracula. Yeah. And how do you kill Dracula? With a stake through the heart. Yeah, stout heart. But you don't take his heart. Well, we didn't exactly make a splash when we went through the door. 
Yeah, I see your point. Either way, I think this one is the most obscure. I don't think it particularly makes a reference to Dracula. No. But it's pretty easy to work out because there's a huge fucking island in the middle of a lake that you haven't been to yet. Which we confused for the uh, Quartz Tower for a long time. Well, it just made sense, didn't it? Yeah. It's like, that's where you got to go. That's the end point of the game. Clearly, she's going to be there, but she's not. Also, we got the sugar cube that says it protects you from poisoned bramble. Ah. And I was like, oh, great. We'll just take that and go into the poison lake and swim across. But you can't do that either. What does turn up, again, in classic timed fashion, as we've been discussing, at the edge of the lake is a hooded figure. Rather disturbingly hooded figure he looks like a ring wraith or the ghost of christmas yet to come or charon the, the, the ferryman yes or, or the rhythm of sticks exactly either way it's that that death-like figure is waiting there to take you across the river but we had some trouble you can't actually if you try and talk to him he's not much of a conversationalist you know, i don't think he says anything no if you try and get in the boat as well he's not very happy about that so we spent ages sort of trying to get across the river to no avail, you know, tried to pay him with jewellery and earrings. and. Oh, I think we chucked everything at him. I mean, he's a skeleton probably, so earrings ain't going to cut it really, considering <laughs> he doesn't have any ears. But like Bob Gale. So we thought, well, where's the one place we haven't been yet, or that we have been, but we've not really achieved anything? And that was Grandma's house. Or the Big Bad Wolf, occasionally. Yes, the big bad wolf occasionally, sometimes grandma. This was the bit of a confusing thing, was sometimes you go in and it was the big bad wolf in grandma's bed, presumably having eaten grandma, and other times it was just grandma. But once it was the big bad wolf and you went out and came back, sometimes it was grandma again. So I guess he vomited her up and left. <laughs> and scarpered. Uh, yeah, as he found out, if you're in the room too long, big bad wolf will get up and would get into this great big sort of uh, cartoony-esque cloud. Yes, yeah, so a very much and, Chuck uh, Jones, Looney Tunes-esque <laughs> scramble of uh, dust and limbs in which I assume that we were eaten. Yes. So you have to go in at a time in which the wolf is not there and it is in fact just grandma. Oh, and I forgot, before you do that, you need to make a visit to the dwarf's house. Yes. Because I'd forgotten about that too. Once again, is this is it the same dwarf that nicks stuff from you? Oh. Now there's competing theories about that there's actually a thread on this. <laughs> You've done so much more research than I have. Whether they're the same dwarf or not. Some say it is, some say it isn't. Some say it's a dwarf from the first one, and apparently the dwarf is what stole King Edward's shield and left it in the possession of the leprechauns because he then became an outlaw. Some say he is a leprechaun, but he's a fake dwarf. I said, what, he's just a very large leprechaun. Some say there's more than one dwarf. He has a wife that looks similar to him. Do you know what? I had no idea that there was so much uh, discussion on this point. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. <laughs> uh, some call him the thief or the bandit. The thief of uh, Kalima. There's lots of competing theories. Yes. But we'll go with, it is the same dwarf from Daventry. All we know is there's a dwarf that lives in the tree, and if he catches you, he nicks your shit. That's what we know. Which is what the first one did. That, that's true, but he didn't live in a tree. Uh, no. He uh, might have no, done, he, but we never saw his home. He emigrated from Kalimar to Daventry. <laughs> Bloody migrants. No, no, let's not do that. Actually, that is actually one of the theories. <laughs> Legit. 
Really? Okay. It's some like, oh, he, he, he can't afford and his missus makes him go out and steal stuff. <laughs> exactly. But this, this obviously brings a dismal view of uh, the contribution that uh, migrants make to the countries that they move to. So I think it's good that that um, particular theory was not canon. But unlike in the first one, in the treehouse, the dwarf treehouse, there is quite a, a myriad of itemry <laughs> that we can have for our own sake. I don't itemry. even know if itemry is a word. Loot. Is there a myriad of loot? Because I remember you go, basically, there's the door to the house. Is it open? I assume it's open. Yes. You go into the treehouse and then there's a ladder down underground. Which we fell down multiple times. I did fall down multiple times because it's just ridiculous. You've just Half-life ladders. They are half-life ladders, but slightly less annoying <laughs> than half-life ladders, which were just... They defied the laws of physics. <laughs> you didn't have hands. That's the thing. It's like you're holding your gun and you have to walk. You can see both your hands on your gun. And you have to walk up to the ladder and essentially just sort of step over the precipice and go down head first. Which usually you did. <laughs> yes, quite. Major fracture detected. <laughs> this ladder, however, as long as you stick to the pixels correctly, you can get down to the bottom and enter the dwarf's lair. Wherein there is... Oh, no, there are multiple things, sorry. Is there a chest? I think there's a chest. Yes, there is. We found it empty, but that is because if we encounter him in any other part of the realm, mm. he will steal some of your shit. No, you not steal some of it. He'll steal all your shit. Fuck. Right. But you can get it back by going to his house and stealing it back. Ha-ha! Karma. <laughs> yes. The yeah. stealer has become the steely. <laughs> the steelix. <laughs> Um, so there's a chest which has nothing in it unless he's stolen stuff from you. Um, what else is there apart from the obvious thing we need for Grandma's house? Um, I think there are some other bits and pieces. Were there like more jewellery and stuff? Uh, I think there are some other jewellery. You essentially managed to obtain throughout your travel to Kalima an entire set of jewellery wear for your... Um, beloved bride there's like earrings and necklaces brooches, and brooches and anklets and all sorts of stuff so i think there is more of that mr t's entire wardrobe quite but the main thing that we're in there for is the thing that's bubbling away over the fireplace which is the chicken soup chicken soup for the soul which we had in our inventory for bloody ages it must have gone cold <laughs> we, have got, we tried feeding it to the, <laughs> with the, the nightingale we tried putting the nightingale in it we did uh we tried mixing it with hagatha's broth we did uh we tried pouring it into the pond we <laughs> we had no idea what the hell we're supposed to do with this chicken soup and it turns out the most yes. obvious thing is that you're meant to give it to an old lady who's not feeling very well an ailing woman, an ailing auctionarian. Quite. So we just, we go to grandma's house, we go in when she's there and she's not a wolf, and we give her a chicken, some chicken soup, and she feels a lot better. After she wolfs it down. I've been waiting for about five minutes to use that. <laughs> <laughs> so after she wolfs down the soup, she lets you, what? Have a rummage under her valance. <laughs> Oh, misses. Uh, she does. She lets you have a rummage under her sheets. And under there, you find um, some things that you wouldn't expect to. Uh, yes, under her bed is... A, <laughs> a cape. Essentially a Halloween costume, really. <laughs> a cape, a ruby ring, and was there anything else? 
I think they were the key. Things. No, I think it was just a, a cloak, a large cloak, and uh, an elaborate ruby ring. Yes. Yeah. So you take those things, and yeah, it does seem like some sort of Halloween costume. And if you dress up in this Halloween costume and approach the ferryman, he will mistake you for Dracula. Or is there anything else you need to do? Uh, I want to say a brooch, but I don't think that's correct. No, I don't think there is. I think that's basically it. He thinks you're Dracula if you wear those things, and he will take you across the sea to the castle, which is the great. poisoned uh, lake, yeah. Exactly. He takes you across the poisoned lake to the castle, and when you get there, the pathway up to the main entrance is guarded by many poisonous brambles. Now, as we know from our magical unicorn pegasus snake drug dealer peddler we have received <laughs> a uh, a magic sugar cube which will protect us from this so you gulp it down and just walk straight through up to the front gate however at the front gate there is two ghostly apparitions actually there's just i would say two ghostly apparitions it's not appar- well they're just ghosts yeah two ghosts which are uh in the way again if you're wearing the correct garb i think they just go away don't they uh yes uh, if you're wearing all the correct garb i.e the cloak the ring and the cross oh you need the silver cross too to get past them right. yes okay they will ignore you but if you do walk into them i mean you actively search them and walk into them yeah they essentially scare you and they make you one of them haunts you and you they walk you into the poisonal brambles but we've taken the sugar cube despite being immune to them oh okay so what they just walk you in and then you just stand there and be like well what do i do now uh, well that that's what apparently that's what happens it's it ignores the sugar cube effect oh right okay and you do die okay we didn't witness yeah. this they just they just went away and we entered the castle and were treated to a lovely rendition of Bach's Takata and Fugue. Yes. <laughs> I do believe you did say something else on the Let's Play and I was going to correct you, but you've said it correct yes. this time around. Yes, there does appear to be more music in this particular game than there was in the first one, I would say. Actually, whilst you were meddling with the ghosts, there yes. was a little ditty. Was there? Oh. Yes, it is. And it's Thriller. Really? <laughs> Michael Jackson, yes, which came out about 1984, a year before. Hmm. I can see where they took a lot of their inspiration. How did they do that? Did they have to like pay through the nose to use that? Oh, it's it's only vaguely thriller. Oh right, okay. Is this the classic Simpsons? I think they changed it just enough so they didn't have to pay us. This would probably explain why I didn't pick up on it at the time. Neither did I. (laughs) Upon entering the castle, it's quite a, um, I'd say, ornate and imposing interior. Lots of large furniture and candles. It's a very large furniture. There is very large furniture. It feels a bit like being in the home of a giant. Yes, which we encountered the... uh the time before rather than the uh, ghosts and goblins of this time we- or which weirdly enough uh, another uh, game that came out in 1985 it did so in this castle which if you haven't figured it out yet is dracula's castle you need to locate the man himself and he is located underneath in the dungeons however it is very dark down there i will point out this is where we lost points as well because we walked past a table we did and uh, this is where um the graphical essence of the game sort of lets it down a little bit because there was a plate of meat on the table, which we were supposed to take. We didn't. 
we did try and take it. We tried to take it. Uh, we tried to take bread. We tried to take cake. We tried to take cheese. We did not try to take meat. Um, the reason why it wouldn't let us take it is because we didn't know what a bloody hell it was, and we had to say, take meat. Well, yeah, but even if you look at the table, which is usually the clue, you sort of say, look around, and it'll tell you what's there. It doesn't tell you that it's it meat. Describe the table. Yes. It was a sturdy table, and it had markings on it, and it was scratch marked around the bottom. It did not describe what was on the table top. No. Oh, did you need to say, look, table top? We'll go with yes. That's bullshit. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think you're supposed to just say, like, take meat or take food. Take ham. I think it's ham, isn't it? It is ham, yes. Anyway, we didn't get it, which caused a mild panic in me later on as I realised we probably needed it and would possibly have to go and, back. And we did. Well, we didn't because we had the sword, but we didn't get yeah. four points. Anyway, in order Bye to about. light your way down to the uh, the basement, there are two towers in the uh, the castle. And if you go up the first one, up a wooden one to the left, there's like a wooden ramp. And if you get up to the top of that, there's a bedroom. And in the bedroom, what on earth do we find there? I can't even remember. Um, the very top is just a chest. What's in the chest? That is where the key is. <laughs> yes, the key to the door. The door. But we need the key to the chest to the door first. So what's under Dracula? That would be the key to the door to, no uh after that we went downstairs yeah and dracula is one of those that sometimes there sometimes isn't yeah okay now if he's there and we are not wearing the cross he bites us he gets up and bites us and then we die well hang on when we turn into a vampire uh, uh no yeah we just die and if we do have it on he can't bite us for some reason he just remains asleep but we have a steak and a mallet a mallet that we found in a hole in a tree oh yes yeah, so these are some of the things we picked up along our travels yes yeah we're a steak and a mallet which we can use obviously to to this is a steak a wooden steak not just like a a, a slab of meat no otherwise you could have fed it to the fucking lion and later on <laughs> it's quite difficult to hammer through a wedge of meat if it's frozen through a human that's just weird could be a t-bone that, that, that might work but no um you kill the you kill dracula and you get points for that you do get points for that and underneath him but it doesn't give you the key straight away you have to look for the key and you have to search coffin it tells you that there is it's a velvet lined and there's a pillow there and you have to look under the pillow and that's where you find the key. Okay, so that is the key to what? Uh, the key is for the chest at the ah, top of the tower. Right, which you have to do by ascending a very precarious stone staircase, which one of the things in which the, the graphics of this game make particularly difficult is if you've got circular staircases, they're very easy to go up when they're at perpendicular perspective to the camera. However, as soon as it twists round, it basically turns into one pixel wide staircase yes uh, so once we got the key we can then progress the story we can so from the chest at the top of the tower you get the key for the final door and upon returning to the magic door over the rickety bridge you open the door Ooh, sorry just to point out another thing you also get points if you then take all the stuff back off <laughs> if you take off the brooch oh really and then take off Yes. I think we missed that. Uh, no, I think we did. 
Uh, we took everything off again. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, you unlock the door and you open it at the um, the magical portal. And behind, we do not find another door. We find a portal to another realm. Um, a realm with purple skies. The colour purple. Quite. Bringing it back around everything. So time is a flat circle. Very much like King's Quest 2. <laughs> a tube, some would say. A tube. A, a Pringle tube. So you go through. So perhaps going through this door takes you to the inside of the Pringle tube. And uh, what, the cliffs and the sea are the cap at the end? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be right. Anyway, you go inside the door and you come out into a very purpley, magentary world. You're on the shore of some great mauve sea. And there's not much to do, really. There's a few screens of you on the shore. There's a cliff behind you and there's a waterfall. You can die quite a bit. You can. If you, if you fall into the, into the sea or if you fall down the waterfall, it's quite easy to be, to be killed. Yeah. Um, so the only thing of any note around, really, is a discarded fisherman's net a fisherman's net yes um which you can pick up and then i'm trying to remember what on earth we did there i think if you use the fisherman's net you can catch you catch a fish a fish and then you use the fish to lure something no you don't you use the net to catch the iridescent fish i think okay and then you let it go and because it's so grateful that you let it go, it gives you a right. You're right. That's absolutely right. You catch a magical iridescent fish, and then you let it go, and then clearly this fish has developed Stockholm Syndrome. And it's, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you so much for letting me go, even though you caught me. I'll give you a lift over to the island. And he does. So you ride the fish's back, and he takes you over to this island, upon which sits a quartz tower. And we both got very excited, and we're like, let's get in that motherfucker. The tower, not the maiden. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> King Graham is not that sort of gentleman. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it has. He's been sat on that throne a long time. Anyway, um, we didn't look around the island properly when we got there we just went straight to the quartz tower we went inside climbed another annoying spiral staircase and this one was even worse because when you get halfway up the camera shifts to a completely different it crosses the line in hollywood speak and suddenly forwards is back back is forwards and left and right are reversed and if you're not careful you can very easily fall down and when you get to the top of the stairs there is a single door and this door is guarded by a lion a chained up lion, a very hungry lion. Yes, chained up, but still within your reach. If we'd have been, I say smart, if we'd have been psychic and had picked up the ham earlier on. Rather than the cake or the cheese or the bread. Yep, or the meringue or the whatever it was we decided it was. We did go through quite a myriad of food groups other than meat. Yes, we missed the meat, unfortunately. But if you have the ham, you can feed it to the lion and that will be a sufficient distraction for him to let you pass. However, we took the slightly more violent route. We did not have the ham. So we just slew the lion with a sword. <laughs> yeah, we just ended it. <laughs> Impaled him. Yeah. I mean, he'd... I don't know, Hagatha had kidnapped 
Valenice, but the lion was clearly being used for evil purposes, even though he was clearly a slave himself, being chained up. But, you know, them's the breaks. Every man for himself. It was him or us, really. Yes, I mean, uh, if uh, if you make your bed, you've got to lie in it. <laughs> well, one person left. Uh, anyway, once the lion has been slewn, <laughs> is that a word? I don't know. <laughs> um, you can make your way past to the door. Is the door locked? Uh, You'd think no, it would be. No, but you get points for opening it, though. Excellent. You open the door, and inside is your beloved Valenice. Even though you've never met each other before, um, you rush into each other's arms. And, well, actually, no, it's a little bit more standoffish at first, isn't it? I think she's like, thank yeah, you. Yeah, she's a bit like, yeah, hello. Thanks, kind night. What's happened to the lion? What's happened to Greg? <laughs> Greg the lion. <laughs> Greg the lion. <laughs> It's like uh, he had to, um, had to, he had to split. Got another job in the, on a farm. <laughs> it was great. There was gazelles to chase and everything. Anyway, um, she thanks you for saving her, and you go up to her and tell her your name, and she's like, "Thank you, Sir Graham, King Graham," and you can kiss her at this point if you so desire. She's, you know, to get the full points. Yeah, and she's not really. She doesn't put up much of a fight. She just goes straight in there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Sexual conquest. She didn't put up a fight. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a bit weird. This random guy's just walked in and he's like, oh, give you a kiss. She's like, oh, all right. And then you ask her to marry her and she also agrees to that. I think, frankly, she just wants to get out of the fucking tower. She's like, I will say anything to get out of here. Tower has no plumbing. I've been here for a long time. Do not go in that corner. It reeks. Thank you for that um, potent mental image, Stephen. <laughs> so, yeah, then we've rescued her. And I was like, great, that's it. That's the game. No, it wasn't for us. No, you, you've got to get back. But you can't get back because your bejeweled fish or whoever, the rainbow fish is fucked off. He's not going to give you a lift back. There's no way to get back into the realm of Kalima through the door because that's disappeared. So there's there's nothing much you can do, and we spent a very long time trying to finish the game by typing things such as finish game into the text parser. Bring Lion back to life. To no avail. Um, and it turns out we simply just had not explored enough, and if we'd have gone round the back of the tower, we'd have found an amulet which said home on it. And if you say home in the possession of the amulet, then it magically transports you back not to Daventry, where you'd think it would, but to Kalima. Yes. You uh, and uh, the princess. Very vague sort of Dorothy's slippers. Dorothy's ruby slippers. Well, Yeah, it's a bit Wizard of Oz. It's a little bit Wizard of Oz. Um, but then, yeah, once you've done that, that is the end of the game. And you get the final cutscene in which Valenice and King Graham are married at the monastery, which we saw earlier, by the monk. I'm not sure monks can marry people, but this one does. Well, I'm sure if sea captains can do it and uh, random members of the public can be ordained, then why can't monks? I'm sorry, can sea captains marry people? I think there's a, that, that's an old rumour, isn't it? I've never heard that, but I will take your word for it. Anyway, you go to the church, you marry her, and in attendance at the wedding are lots of your friends from Daventry and Kalima, and some of your enemies as well, who 
I would say makes up most of the people you tried to kill in the first King's Quest. Well, people you did kill. People we did kill anyway. There is. Well, we threw knives at everybody, so yeah, we tried to kill everyone. <laughs> it, was, it was a knife buffet in King's Quest 1. <laughs> but no, there's literally the dragon from King's Quest 1. He's there. Yes. We yeeted him with a dagger, so he should be dead. Uh, the wolf is there. The wolf is there. The troll, not the troll, the giant from King's Quest 1 who lives in the cloud, he's there. Um, the, both the wizard and the, and the dwarf are there, possibly trying to steal our shit. Exactly. Well, weddings are a good place for that sort of scam. Yeah. The enchanter, you know, and I think Haggath is there as well. Uh, Dracula is there as well. It, well, you know, have a heart. <laughs> you would. Sorry. Well, he didn't. Exactly. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> of this whole affair. <laughs> So, yeah, and then once she has uh, married you, you make your way back to Daventry, and there is another throne there, magically. He's, King Graham has got one of his carpenters to create a second throne, and the two of you sit down and rule over your kingdom as man and wife. Do you reckon they do get a new throne, or do you think they just steal the leprechaun's throne? Nah, because the leprechaun's throne was, if you remember, of inferior quality to... Oh, of course, thing. yes. It was yeah, just a rock, course. basically. Um, <clears throat> no, this is this is a, a good throne, you know, made out of... No wife of mine shall sit on inferior <laughs> thrones, such as the leprechaun throne. <laughs> quite, quite. So, yeah, that's the end of the uh, end of the game. And I think we got 177 points, was it, out of 185? Uh, yes, yeah, I think we're about eight points shy. Yep. So as we, I think we've pointed out most of the places we could have picked those up during our uh, discussion. But um, yeah, what did you, uh, what did you think of the game, Stephen? Initially, when we ended it, I was very happy for it to be over. But well, we've talked through it. Um, I realised that we had some very good points. I say good points. I'm not entirely sure I would have enjoyed it as a child going through it. No, it would have been a bloody nightmare. Um, it's very bloody janky. So was the first one, though. Well, well, at least at the first one, you could make up your own mind of what you wanted to do. Yes, yeah. Whereas this one, you've got to do this. You've got it is linear, and uh, you can't really progress. I suppose you can kind of half progress to do various. You've got like a a certain selection of quests to do, but really, you don't. No, I agree. I think certainly in the first game. Firstly, you had three clear objectives of what you had to do. The mirror, the shield, and the other thing. <laughs> I can't remember. The chest. The chest, thank you. Uh, and then you were let free to go round. So you knew what you were looking for, but you were basically left free to go round and do it at your own pace and to discover things as you went along. And you could do the different tasks in any order, whereas in this one, the three doors were in order. And a lot of the options of how to complete them only opened up when you'd opened the door. For example, the mermaid on the uh, shore, or the shop opening, or the ferryman ready to take you across. So none of that was available until you'd gotten to the right point. And although you could wander the forest and pick up stuff that was around, there wasn't nearly as much stuff to do around randomly as there was in the first one it's like you had to actually get to the door and read the inscription and then something had opened up and then you had to go and do that there was less of the random chance of just running into different puzzles and doing it as you went 
Yes. Yeah. Um, it was uh, the, another thing that we I noticed is you do have to be more direct with your use of words and where where you're positioned on an area. For example, ham or meat rather than just food. Yes, uh, and uh, in order to find out if there was ham or food on the table, like look table rather than look tabletop or look plate. Uh, another one was uh, if you're stood on the right side of a rock, look tree or look hole. That's how uh, we came a cropper first time when we were trying to find a mallet. Oh, yeah, because it was in a, a hole in a tree, but we'd said... Yeah, second episode, I said, I'm pretty sure we've looked in this hole. Uh, we did. We were on the wrong side of a rock. And that's why I didn't didn't come up with it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was... Um, I don't know whether that's specific to this one rather than the first one, but certainly we came a cropper because of that more in this game than we did in King's Quest 1. I would agree. I see what they were trying to do in making it sort of more of a story rather than just a random world in which you have tons of weird shit to do they wanted to make it more of a progression in story of doing the three tasks but i thought that maybe the gameplay did suffer a little bit because of that and it was a bit more constrictive um i'll say the the quests were relatively not self-explanatory but they weren't too taxing there were one or two which were like what the fuck are we supposed to be doing here the obviously the horse snake thing is way up there that was the worst puzzle of the game by far but even that's not on a level of Ifen Coven Rumpelstiltskin in the first one. And there was no beanstalk moment, so to speak. You mean apart from all the staircases? Yeah, but, you know, that, it wasn't as bad as the beanstalk, man. There was nothing on in comparison to that at all. Thinking about it, there shouldn't be anything like the staircases. Granted, they want to show you going up upstairs. Just have, like, an animation of you walking upstairs or... I, I see your point. I see your point. On the other hand, there's a part of me that quite likes the fact that it doesn't hold your hand in that regard and you do have to... I mean, it, when you take it to its extreme in the Beanstalk puzzle, for example, it's just hellish. But I like the fact that you can just fall off a cliff if you walk off a cliff. Whereas games today, they'd never allow that to happen. It's like, you know, press X to complete game is basically how a lot of things work today. Everything is automated. Whereas I like the freedom to be able to do that. I suppose, but it is... I, I, it would have really... I, I know definitely pissed you off at some point, climbing down ladders. It did, it did. But I suppose it's a little bit merciful depending on how high you fall from. So that is an interesting aspect of, of this particular game. Usually in King's Quest, no matter where you fell from, you died. Pretty much. But there are certain points around about whatever height you are, the character sprites are you can fall and survive, as you possibly would if you only fell from, like, a table height. You can, but you've got to sit through a tedious animation of, you know, stars circling around your head. Yes, true, true, true. But at least you don't die. So actually, one of the, one of the things that I liked about this game in comparison to the first was they added a new speed option. So in the first game, you had normal, which is slow. Slow, which is just, you know, slit your wrists slow. And then I don't even know where, why you would use slow. No. Well, sometimes if you've got to do type something in in time, for, for example, uh, yeah, in the next game, the Medusa puzzle, which we will get to then, it, stuff like that can be useful. But you wouldn't use it for most of the game. And they had fast in King's Quest 1, which was ridiculously fast, 
Whereas now, <laughs> the fast option is like in between the normal and the fast option in King's Quest 1. And it's just about perfect. And then they've got a fastest option, which is the same as fast in King's Quest 1. So I went through most of this on fast, and uh, I really liked that speed for playing it, actually. So I thought that was good. Um, I, I was disappointed, not that we really needed it, but I was disappointed that they got rid of the jump and crouch functions. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can see that they were trying to streamline it, and frankly, I don't think you even used crouch in King's Quest 1, and you only ever used jump to jump on the eagle's no. back. Once we used Crouch to get out of the Leprechaun's hole. No, we didn't. We didn't. We ate a magic mushroom. Um, I'm pretty sure we had to crouch at some point. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. Mm -hmm. I think we tried it and it didn't work. Either way, the jump and crouch functions are gone. There is a button now for swimming, which is useful. So you don't have to type in <laughs> swim. Rather than typing swim. Well, I still think just swim when you go in water. It's like even then, why do you have to type swim? Why do you have to press the swim button? Why not just swim when you go in? Because <laughs> in case you've forgotten how to swim. Well, exactly. I mean, this is what I'm saying. I It's a double-edged sword for me because on one level, I do like actually having to do certain things, you know, like click open door or look in hole, for example. Yeah, no. Well, no, exactly. This is my point. Yeah, I like a certain level of actually having to do the things in the adventure game as opposed to more modern ones where they take all of that out. One of the things that you'll find as they go along in time in adventure games is that it starts off with text passes, so you can basically type in whatever you want, but of course a lot of the things you type in aren't going to be recognised, but you can pretty much type in whatever you want to do. And then they move into the verb bars, you know, like you get in the LucasArts games where you've got use, pick up, close, push, and you'll find that at the beginning those verb bars are quite large. They have things like walk to and consume and look at and yeah well, exactly exactly which i quite like i was gonna say uh in monkey island i don't think there's many other opportunities to use at the push and pull other than the safe code uh there might not be there might not be but i quite like that system anyway and one of the good things about it is that especially for the more comedic games you can use some of those verb combinations to sort of write funny lines for sort of random things that aren't going to complete the game but Stuff like, you know, pull shopkeeper, for example. But um bum bum <laughs> Um and you know, they can write a funny line to go with that. And as adventure games moved on, they started taking all of that out. And eventually you just had a cursor and basically clicking on it would interact with object in whatever way was the correct way to interact with the object. And so yes. not only does it take the possibility for those funny situations out, but it also takes a lot of the gameplay of figuring it out out because it's just well i'll just go in this room and just click on everything and it'll do exactly what i'm supposed to do use this with this sort of thing well they even start taking that sort of inventory using together out after a while and then and then at the end of the day you end up with like you know telltale games where there's no puzzle solving at all and it's just press x to say this or y to say that and that's the game a vague imagination of story arcing uh, story branching yeah, so I quite like, you know, having all those options, but at the same time, it can be taken too far. You know, you don't want to be type swim for every time you fall into the water or breathe in, do you know what I mean, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. It's like, where do you draw the line? But I, I think a balance can be struck, and I like there to be a little bit of um, interacting with the sort of verbs and the syntax of the game, if you like. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Honestly, as we covered earlier, just being able to semi-predict what the writers wanted you to say and whether they thought of what you could possibly think of. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. Having that moment of humour where you realise, oh, they thought of the same thing I'd have thought of and they've put a little joke in there for me. I believe they have uh, done a lot more in some of the later games. They have, yes, which we will cover in later. Yeah, in terms of the interface, there were those changes. Some of them were for the better. Um, some of them I was I was a little disappointed. The graphics were maybe a little better, slightly better, just slightly better drawn, even though, you know, the resolution, the colours and everything's not changed. But I think there was maybe slightly more detail to the drawings, but not a quantum leap by any stretch of the imagination. No, I, I think we, as we, we covered earlier, I think the sound was probably the more... Mm. There was definitely, yeah, more music, which was nice and set the mood in certain scenes. It was kind, kind of jarring in others with the uh, the, the clanky um, monastery bells. Oh yeah, the monastery bells were awful. That was like... <laughs> it's like, you know, when you've got an electric toothbrush and you sort of put the hard part of it against your tooth by mistake instead of the brush and it just vibrates your skull it was like that (laughs) but for the inner ear yeah so i like the inclusion of more music i thought the graphics did look better and there was more variety of locales as well which i liked even though the graphics themselves may not have been better you know you had ocean scenes and mountains and weird purple dimensions and castles yeah yeah yeah, so I thought there was more variety of location as well, which kept things interesting. Humor-wise, I thought the monk joke was the funniest one in the game. Uh, is that a joke? What, where God strikes you dead for trying to kill a monk? <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> I would say the biggest joke would be the the pullback and reveal of... That was in the first one, though. Was it? Yes, it was, yeah. I don't think we'd uh, configured the streaming thing quite right to allow you to hear the sound. Oh, so I, yes, I couldn't hear the first one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right. There wasn't much to hear in it at all. But yeah, I thought, um, you know, it wasn't really a technical leap from the first game, but it did the job. So other versions of the game, I know you've looked into this. There was no SCI remake as there was for the first game. So the only other version, I think of note was the one that you mentioned earlier uh which were the 1987 version oh no sorry so there were other versions of the game for other platforms and updates of the original game which didn't really change the game if you see what i mean oh you mean uh the 10 15 years later yes 20 years later yes yes the romancing the stone rather than romancing the throne correct so in 2002 i think a company called AGD, which was sort of a fan company, I believe. Yes, yes, it was like a fan reimagination of it. Hmm. So they'd already done King's Quest One in VGA graphics, um, similar to the style of King's Quest Five, I think, with full speech as well and um, better music and point-and-click controls as opposed to text passes. And uh, they just did the same thing again, I think, with uh, the second one. I think they did. Now, what I remember from what i've read is uh they did embellish the story and fleshed it out a lot more and filled in all the cracks and i think they did change some of the puzzles a little bit as we may have uh, may have probably read from that you know like i said the nightingale you had to put the cover over it yes 
So it was not just a graphical update. They actually added new characters, fleshed out the story, put new dialogue, but all that sort of stuff. Uh, tweaked, tweaked it out. Yeah, yeah. Polished it out. And, uh, obviously, it was fan-based, so it's what the fans liked, uh, what they didn't like, what they think they should have changed, and obviously they did. And uh, obviously, must have done a little bit better because then they reimagined that version and uh, progressed that story from fan fiction, as it were. Yeah, and uh, I would be interested in having a look at that sometime, but certainly not for a very long while yet, I don't think. Well, the strange thing is, back in the day when fans of things did it, they did it with love, rather than to uh, either ostracize or to gain money or to show prowess. It's like, we want this because we can do it now. It'd be nice to see it done nicer. Back in the old days, you know, people had honor. When nerds just wanted to be nerds before Twitter. But no, no, uh, I, yeah, I, I'd like to possibly revisit this in the future, in ten years' time, when uh, we've run out of games, when I've forgotten what the quests are. Okay, so that's um, that's King's Quest Two: Romancing the Throne. Overall, um, how would you give it a final rating in terms of uh, random sounds? Uh. <laughs> Oh, mm, I think that's that's a a step down from the last one. I think. What would my sound be? I think somewhere along the line of, eh, mm, yeah, yeah. It was a game. Anyway, please join us next time for uh, our um, foray into King's Quest Three to Air is Human, in which there may be some changes and surprises in store for us. We shall see. Yes. Yes. until then thank you for listening please be uh, sure to subscribe to the podcast if you have not already and you can find us on youtube at the graphic adventurers and you can reach us on twitter at adventurers pod until then uh, my name is jim aka mr spatula Uh, my name is steve aka the chap in the hat and we are the graphic adventurers thank you for joining us farewell good night